0: Welcome to this week's first live edition of the Casual Shooters Podcast, your premier podcast with a casual shooter. I say first because tomorrow night we're going to have another live event going on with the Area 6 uh, runoff. Tonight, though, I am talking with Luigi Lee and Yi min Lin about their run for USPSA president. We had a debate a few months back with all of the candidates. Now we're down to two. This will not be your classic debate. It's going to be more of a, a discussion around topics with some questions. Hopefully this will give you everything you need to know, your last-minute questions being answered, before the polling opens in about eight days. So with that, join me in welcoming both Luigi and Yi Men to the show. Welcome, gentlemen.
1: Great. Thanks, Thanks, Dave.
0: Howdy, howdy.
2: What's going on?
0: You you almost ready, (sighs) E-man?
1: Yeah, I definitely do not have the most professional setup here, but I think we should be okay. So I appreciate y'all's patience today and thanks for everybody uh, watching the show. All righty.
0: All right. So as you guys are aware, but the audience is not at the moment, we are not doing an intro. Uh, But you will have the opportunity at the end for a closing statement for yourself. Instead, we're going to get right down to business. And uh, audience, uh, there's quite a few of you on right now. If you have any comments or questions, please feel free to post them. All right, so gentlemen, you guys got the list of topics that we were going to discuss. Sorry, I didn't get them to you yesterday evening. That's what I wanted to, but. Things got busy yesterday. Anyway, the number one question I've been asked and I've heard, Emen, is with your situation, um, people want to be reassured in whatever way that you can, that you feel confident that you'll be able to take the office of president if you were to be elected.
1: No, I appreciate the uh, question, Dave. I know that's uh, a really hot topic of a discussion. Uh, first off, you know the board did give me the opportunity to reapply for my R.O. certification if I were to be elected. Uh, I think, in addition to that option that was laid out in the May 29th meeting minutes, uh, you know, I was still included on the ballot so that people could vote for me. Uh, and for those of you that voted, you know, during the first uh, election go-round, you know, you have my thanks and appreciation. Uh, I expect that given the board you know did put me on the ballot and that they give give me the opportunity to reapply for my R certification should the membership vote me back at the office uh, I would expect that the board would acknowledge and honor the members wishes um, so if there's any questions about whether the board would do that I mean we could take a look at the presence that was set when the membership dues were increased uh, a couple of weeks ago you know, the members did take the opportunity to voice their concerns to the board and the board listened to those uh concerns and had a special meeting and you know they rightfully mitigated the impact of the membership dues increase you know the following week so for those people that are concerned that the board you know, may do something in contravention to the members wishes they they have set the precedence that they do in fact listen to what the membership uh, has to say with regards to the direction of the organization
0: okay you have any comment luigi
2: uh yeah i just wanted to to see um you said that you can reapply for your ro certification but i'm pretty sure that the board meeting minutes that were amended was to repetition the directorship for reconsideration in the appeal process that you just did um, I would like to know that in a span of six months, um, given that pretty interesting statement that the board stated for you, um, or sorry, not for you, the board issued the statement regarding your, uh, situation, um, what would have changed in six months for them to make a different decision? I mean, no. it's, it's said that you guys couldn't come to an agreement.
1: Well, that, that's definitely a valid question, Luigi. I would look at it from the perspective of, you know, the appeals process was handled. Um, you know, I certainly can't go into the details of the decision making process, but the appeals process was conducted and it was adjudicated. So at this point, you know, a the determination on that appeal was granted. This process to this process to apply for my RO certification back, you know, that is considered that would be considered a brand new brand new instance. And the board, you know, the board, and even the director of NRI has made statements in the past regarding, you know, the ensuring that members aren't necessarily held for double jeopardy. So I would consider this as a brand new issue that that comes up if, you know, I were to be reelected by the by the members. So this would be a brand new situation.
2: Okay, because that's not how I read the minutes. It said that you can, uh, you're able to petition the board of directors in one year's time for reconsideration on May 31st, 2024. And then it was amended to give you the benefit if, if in fact that you did, uh, um, if you wanted to, that you could petition prior to December 31st for reinstatement on the 31st. So you would have a,
1: a valid certification day one. Well, I, I think as we've all understood from looking at the meeting minutes, you know, we can all read the meeting minutes and have our own particular interpretation of what they say. Um, You know, I I can't speak for the board's, you know, I can't speak for the board's mindset or how they intend on approaching it. Uh, What I can say is that the opportunity was provided for me to regain my RL certification if elected as president, you know, prior to the uh, time time frame that was established by the director of NRI. And all I can do is, you know, basically ensure that I'm in a position to be able to take the position in accordance with the USPSA bylaws.
0: All right. So and with that so we have it clarified the first motion was to uphold the level four discipline imposed by dnroi everybody voted yes except for frank rizzi the area seven director ted murphy abstained that passed then there was a motion to amend the time period which as you stated luigi initially was for may 31st 2024 so a period of one year ro suspension um but then there was a motion to amend by scott arnberg seconded by frank rizzi to allow ye men to petition the board of directors prior to december 31st for possible reinstatement of his range officer certification on december 31st 2023 everybody so leighton yes um bruce gary was absent Leighton, yes. Scott, yes. Mel, yes. Rick, yes. Bruce Wells, no. Frank Rizzi, yes. And uh, Ted Murphy abstained again. So it was pretty. uh, It wasn't unanimous, but it was one shy. Um, So it was six to Uh,
2: one. one. Just another clarification on that. Uh, We did not have a sitting area Eight director. Um, So Russell Ford will will have a vote. And um, Leighton as sitting vice president would not get a vote he would have to have he would have to abstain uh, due to conflict of interest reasons
0: okay well there we have it that's that's everything we know on the on the subject great all right point number two if elected you guys are literally the chairman of the board <laughs> now do you do you guys have any relevant business experience that would translate into the USPSA. And this would be Luigi.
2: Um, Yeah. Um, I've been in the corporate world for uh, a number of years. Uh, I've owned businesses. I've helped start businesses. I've taken over businesses. um, I've taken over departments. Uh, I've been very adamant on, different board of directors. Then I've worked a lot with committees, especially, um, in my tenure, uh, with, uh, Miami-Dade County public school system. Uh, I worked with some committees on there, <clears throat> uh, and within the school that I was at. Uh, so I've, I, I've been a 1099 employee for, or independent contractor for quite a number of years. Uh, anybody that's done contract work, you know, that you're, you're your own boss, you're your own, business owner, um, between that and the restaurant world that I've been involved with for uh, a very long number of years, um, between owning and managing. I I think I'm, I'm in a great position to help serve the, the organization with, uh, that type of business experience.
1: Okay. Yemen. So in the past I served as a program product manager in the Silicon Valley tech industry. Um, I would say my primary experience as relative to USPSA uh, is that USPSA is a 501c3 nonprofit, and so as a nonprofit with a board, uh, having served as the president of my gun club for two years and having been on the board of directors for two years, um, and my experience you know, with the eight months that I was USPSA president, um, there is an understanding of how the organization works. Um, we do, we were making some very good progress. To run the organization, you know, more appropriately uh, from a corporate governance perspective. So th- that being said, you know, th- there's there's definitely a, a a little bit of a distinction between you know doing things the way that we would like to in a corporate world, and then dealing with a five hundred one c three nonprofit where you've got you know board of directors, you've got employees, and you've got membership that you need to answer to. Uh, so there there was definitely some you know positive progress being made in terms of having the organization. Uh, function more effectively from a financial perspective, as well as the method by which we communicate the membership. And so that from that from that perspective, you know, I I've had that time in the seat and I'd like to be able to continue on with you know some of the initiatives that we were working on uh, to continue the work that was being done for the members.
0: OK, now uh, another topic that, that has come up recently is limited optics. It's already a provisional division. Um, but it was added to Ironsight's nationals so people could shoot it there. So it looks like, uh, I have a feeling the way it's headed, it's probably going to be a division, but that means something, it's either going to have to go into carry optics or they're going to have to split those off into two different divisions. Um, What are your thoughts on limited optics and, and how that uh plays out in the future of the uspsa men.
1: well thanks for the question dave so one of the things to consider if you take a look at the february meeting minutes is that there was a concern expressed from the membership that every provisional division that is created and you know, ultimately becomes a permanent division and the metrics by which we evaluate whether a provisional division should be permanent you know that's that's not necessarily been the most transparent to the membership. So with that in mind, uh, the discussion uh, and what was voted on was that we would we wanted to at least see a minimum of five percent activity participation uh, across the entire USPSA membership, so not just major matches but also your club matches. And that number was selected based on uh, single stack numbers. So single stack uh, participation is roughly five percent. Again, you know we can we can always at least use that as a starting metric, but you figure if a provisional division could at least meet the requirements for of um, a, a minimal performing division, then that would be a good place to start that says, hey, the demand is there from the members and there's actually participation. So at this point, you know, what I anticipate is that, yes, you know, limited optics will most likely become a permanent division. You know, that's spelled onto the bylaws. We have, what, until May of 2024 for the initial assessment of the uh, provisional division's performance. Uh, should the board at that point decide, they can either adjust the rules you know that's spelled out in bylaw uh, in the bylaws and if necessary we can also continue data collection and evaluation of the division for an additional year Um, at the time the thought process you know the thought process was that there is a place for slide mounted single action 2011 type guns um and once that would potentially be in place as a permanent division then you've established the upper limit for what is possible with a slide-mounted optic gun. You, know, you can run a magwell, you can run a single action. The only di- uh, the only and the only difference is that you can't put a comp, uh, and you don't have a frame an optic. So once you've established that upper limit, then there was the potential. Again, this would be a discussion with the board as well as the membership that you could potentially realign carry optics so that you would have a situation where you have production production with a dot. You know limited limited with a dot and with the initial decision to determine with the initial decision of limited optics being minor only you know the the concern that's expressed by the members of well hey i, I don't want to shoot my production gun limited because i've got the uh competitive disadvantage in major minor you know, that competitive disadvantage does not exist so we're not the the end state was that we weren't nece- we weren't going to be taking away from those members that have. You know, basically played within the rules and what we laid out for carry optics you know, they would just have a different place to play in and they could do so you know and still stay in in the balance of competitive equity so that's that was that was kind of the intent of the time when the discussion of limited optics occurred um you know we'll we'll see how that goes I mean there there's definitely some uh, good participation um even with the including into Ironsight Nationals you know limited optics I think is what either first or second in terms of the number of registrations there so you know there is a clear interest um, and it's and, you know it was not driven in any shape or form by what you know the manufacturers wanted. It was not. It was a recognition of that there is a, a platform that does not have an adequate place within the sport, and limited optics was you know, the path determined to basically find a place for that uh, platform.
0: And just to um, add, add a, a little bit <clears throat> of a statistic in there of something you said, five percent across the board. In just a few months it's been out it's at 4.06 percent activity the date cut out? in in major matches only no I, I hear you Luigi okay. um, so we're almost at that threshold in major matches alone so I imagine it's probably gonna reach the 5% pretty easily Luigi go ahead
2: oh sorry uh, you, you cut out there um,
0: oh I cut out I'm sorry <laughs> what did you uh, what did you miss
2: oh, Um did the start of that question.
0: Oh, okay. Well, the start was just, um, limited optics. Mm -hmm. It's a provisional division. It was added to iron sites national. Oh no.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I got that. I didn't know what your uh, statement, uh, when, Oh, it was was just,
0: It was just my, the statistics I posted that, uh, limited optics in just the short time it's been out in major matches only. It's already, it's already, it's already, already, yeah, it's already basically at 5%.
2: Um, my views on limited optics, carry optics, and and how they translate over to production optics. um, As it stands right now, I don't see enough of a difference between limited optics gun and production, uh, carry optics guns. I mean, realistically, you've got production guns that weigh 59 ounces. You know, you slap a dot on there with single actions that get down to a pound, a pound and a quarter. I mean, you can see some of these CZ pattern guns, that like an ao one uh you've got fantastic triggers that are on par if not better than most 2011 triggers um and i don't see that much of a difference between one and the other uh, especially when you have uh parts and pieces that you can swap out on a carry optics gun that isn't a thumb rest but sure looks like a thumb rest uh, right <clears throat> so I personally, I don't see that much of a difference between them. Uh, we already have the rule set for carry optics. I mean, it's pretty much a race gun. And I know because I've gone through every single iteration of a carry optics gun. You know, I started shooting this in 2017. Um, I'm a very early adopter. I was there when it was 10 round max. Um, I don't see that difference. Uh, I would have much rather have gone the IDPA route which was, if it fits in the box with a cutout for an optic, you're, you're good to go um, instead of just adding another division because a certain platform doesn't fit that division. I mean, the triggers are almost identical. The weights are, is a non-issue uh, because very few competitors are actually hitting that 59-ounce limit. Uh, and if you look at the Nationals, the, the setup for nationals right now it's third. Um, if it, it limited is first because it's a qualifying match, production is second because it's a qualifying match. Limited optics is third because who wants to shoot single stack a revolver? And my only other question was why did we use single stack five uh, percent? Which is, you know, arguably a lot more minuscule of a division. And it's still valid.
0: Can can you repeat uh, that? Because you kind of broke up a little bit.
2: Um, we use single, uh, single. stack. men said that we use single stack as a minimum requirement, which is five percent. You know that's what that's what single stack is based off of, uh, or performing at. Why wouldn't we have just used revolver instead? You know, arguably revolver is a lot less uh, of a division. You know, a lot, lot less activity. Uh, yes, it's unique, and yes, we should keep it. But if we're keeping revolver at x percent of activity. Why don't we use that as a basis for something new?
0: Okay, and and just from the again, a couple of statistics real quick, single stack major matches only 2.59% participation revolver major matches only 1.07%. So okay, now, those numbers being thrown out. Limited 10 being 0.65%. Limited optics is almost up to the same um, percentage-wise as production. Do you think it's time to sit down, the board sit down as a whole, and realign the divisions? Luigi. Uh,
2: yeah, I think uh, it's, it's a conversation that definitely needs to happen, um, and I would love to be a part of that. But if you were to consider some of the other divisions, some of the other sports, I mean, SAS, uh, the Cowboy Action Society, uh, they had almost 700 competitors at their nationals last year. And they, between divisions and categories, uh, cause they they do it a little differently. They've got almost double the amount that we do. And their divisions are, people are gonna wanna shoot what they want, um, what they wanna do. if, if I wanna shoot a wheel gun, I mean, I'm gonna, I'm gonna shoot a wheel gun. But look at what Ironsight Nationals is right now. There's seven registered competitors for Ironsight Nationals in limited 10. And we need at least 10 in the, in the division at our nationals to recognize it. Uh, I swapped from production to L10 just to try to pat that number up for the membership. You know, the guys that, that are diehard L10 shooters that want to do that. Um, but if I'm, if I'm in the position where I can, I can have that discussion, I can have that conversation. Uh, I I already travel around, around the, the country on my own dime, you know, having that conversation with members and having that member
1: input is, is just going to be what happens.
0: Okay. You men,
1: I think if we're uh, talking about the long-term direction of the sport. You know, that is that is a discussion that needs to happen. Just like Luigi mentioned, um, one thing to you know, a part of it is basically to also looking at you know, all the different aspects of what a significant paradigm shift would look like. So uh, that discussion was something that came up at the General Assembly at the World Shoot uh, from some of the younger regional directors out there, in terms of you know, hey, are the divisions correct? Are they are they where the market is going? You know, what are our members actually competing at? I think what's uh, fundamental to, to consider is one: you know, are the divisions are the divisions appropriate to ensure that folks who want to be able to participate in practical shooting as well can basically do so with whatever gun they come with, right? Um, we we do want to be able to be open as much as possible to members who find to potential members that find it out about uh, practical shooting in USPSA. Uh, And the other aspect is, you know, it's a conversation that uh, needs to happen in conjunction with, you know, Ipsic. So we still are in Ipsic region. So any adjustments we do on our end, you know, that the the consideration would also have to be put in place for how it impacts, you know, our participation in the international community. So um, I know Luigi. You know, we've had this discussion before. You know, if we were to try to combine um, production L ten and Revo into a classic division, you know, how would you break that out? At the end of the day, you know, it's it, it's a discussion that should happen. It's a discussion that should involve the membership, um, and it's also because of the way the nonprofits work. You know, there's very little that we do in the sport that requires an immediate, rapid change. You know, it's something that should be very deliberative in terms of, you know, the the information that we gather to determine whether division realignment needs to happen. Um, and but just to start the conversation, so that we can be honest about, hey, you know. To the divisions right now. Why do they exist? You know, why were they originally created? You know, does that paradigm exist now, where that division still needs to be in place? Can they be combined? So on and so forth. It's so a number of factors that I think we should start the discussion on, so that we can you know get to a point where we go, okay, this is why we're going to, this is what we're going to do, and this is why we're going to do it.
0: Okay. Now to, to piggyback onto this, so Leiji, we're going to go back to you with it. Um, we'll call this another subset, but there is a comment um it states that right now the the current makeup of the board is resistant to change how would you work to counteract that and and try to get the board to progress i know Yimin, you mentioned you got to start that conversation so how do you guys start that conversation and get that ball rolling
2: um so before we we go to um that question. Um, I just wanted to, to have a clarification on, okay. um, we are the US regional affiliate of IPSC. That, that is absolutely true. And as long as we hold the charter for, and we have that agreement with IPSC, we have to do what we need to do, sending, sending a team and making that we have to have a national champion. And there's a lot of things that, we, that we're that required of in, in the IPSC charter. That being said.
0: <laughs> that being said, bye. There, and he's <laughs> we, back.
2: <laughs> oh, oh, sorry. Um, that, uh, that being said, uh, we do we do have certain alignments with IPSC, um, but our rule book has been changing with additions and addendums, even when the original rule book said ipsc with uspsa secondary rules on every line Uh, it's been changing for 30 years Um, we also have ipsc nationals in the us that would be a very easy way of deciding who our teams are in the ipsc the divisions so what uspsa does and what uspsa wants to do If we want to change our divisions, if we want to consolidate our divisions, that is a conversation that USPSA members need to have input on. We don't really need to think about the rest of the world for our USPSA rule set. Now, when we hold IPSC matches, which we don't usually hold many in the US, um, I try to go to all of them uh, as I can, just because I I do travel internationally on my own. Uh, Then we would be using the IPSC rule set with the IPSC divisions. Now, certain other regions have started something called Standard minor, or Standard Optics, which is the limited optics, our version of limited optics. And their rule set is completely different than what we are putting out. Uh, So if we were talking about alignment with IPSC, maybe we should have had alignment completely with IPSC, but we have that with IPSC matches. Um, Now, for what the other question, uh, uh, having the board resistant to change, uh, that is the responsibility of the president. He's the chairman of the board, okay? They, he's supposed to be the leader. Having having X amount of life, uh, X amount of years in life experience uh, in different managerial roles, owner roles, uh, boss roles, uh, being able to communicate effectively, being able to listen. Those are things that a leader needs to have. Um, I believe that I have those. Qualities that that I can bring to the organization as a whole. Uh, I mean, you can anybody that's ever met me at a match. It's always, "Hi, how are you? What's going on? How have you been? Uh, what are issues? How can I help? Um, what do you need?" Uh, e- even if I'm on deck, <laughs> I've had I've I've gone to the safe table to fix a gun to go back to the line and and start shooting. Uh, And I've already done things I need to do, proving myself anymore than that. Now I'm here for the membership. Now I'm here for you guys.
0: So men, how do you, how do you start that conversation?
1: I think the, the, the first place to start with a, any sort of discussion like that would be honestly to start off at the committee level, right? So I know we're talking about this particular, uh, this topic later on, uh, you know, but something along the lines of a competition committee, right? You can start, you can have a competition committee where you have you know, a board member that basically handles the direction of the conversation, but then you're getting your input from key stakeholders across all the eight areas. So, for example, you could, well, again, we're just spitballing here, you know, you could basically get a you know, couple of skilled match directors, a couple of guys that are that are grandmasters in the sport, you know, that are competitive, that, that are actively competitive. You can find you know, some of the, the guys in the middle to basically have that discussion of, hey, if we were to do something like that, you know, what would that look like? Uh, what would be the information that would be acquired in order to make uh, that kind of paradigm shift with the way that the sport is being run? So you know, experience-wise, coming in as you know, having been USPSA president, uh, that that is something that has been a challenge is providing you know adequate and appropriate information so that the board can function uh, from a leadership perspective. So I think the the first place to start would be to task out that task that out to a committee, competition committee, says, hey, if if we were to reimagine the divisions, say we're starting fresh, you know, what would that look like? and here are some of the considerations um i think the work that you've done and jay slater has, uh, has identified that you know optics optics platforms are the dominant uh platform within the sport what is it something like 70 75 of competitors are basically shooting some kind of optics platform so with that in mind you know where where do we go from there okay now that you've established that that baseline for you know, starting the discussion then you let the committee do its work at some point, you know, that, that way, when the board actually has to make that decision, you know, they can make that decision with a report that's been properly researched uh, with the data that's presented to go ahead and determine, hey, is is this the direction that we want to take the sport?
0: Yeah, and it's like uh, 74, 75 percent is just carry optics open and PCC. So three quarters of it is three divisions. Everybody likes shooting a
2: dot. It's easier.
0: I I like shooting a dot, especially at my age. Take that. (laughs) All right. Now, Luigi, I'm going to use something you said as a transition to our next topic, which was you travel around on your own dime. So let's talk finances. Everybody's favorite USPSA topic, especially on the internet. (laughs) So, um, Give me this should be ye men starting this one. Um, I, I'm gonna add in the, the 990s because we haven't seen one for last year yet. I'm I'm not saying it's not there, I'm just saying we haven't seen it. So your thoughts on how do I want to say it? Trying to correct the hemorrhage of of money each year and trying to get the organization back into the black. Again, knowing that you're one of nine, you're not the finance chair, you're not the finance committee person, any of that, but you're still gonna have some input. So what are your thoughts?
1: So part of the challenge that, uh, that both Donna and I ran into when we first took position uh, was just understanding what our baseline was, right? So. That was something that Donna spent a significant amount of time uh, trying to determine what our baseline spending was to begin with. So during the process of trying to figure out our 2022 uh, P&Ls and expenditures, there was a fair amount of of time, actually a, a very significant amount of time, just ensuring that the accounting of our expenses and everything was categorized correctly. So that was something Donna did a really great job of in terms of being able to provide some more financial Uh, granularity or visibility into what it was that the organization was spending and specifically where was it being categorized so as far as the budget process for uh 2023 there was a consideration given to hey there's got to be some cost-cutting measures put into place so there there was a reduction at least in terms of the spending areas that we felt were the lowest hanging fruit and so where where we're at now with finances um you know part of the challenge is Essentially, okay. Once you've established the budget, you know what are the cost, what are the what are the financial tracking measures that are put in place to ensure that we're, we're staying on track? Um, again, you know, we we did basically go through a significant paradigm shift from having a president CEO under uh, under Mike Foley to a split of the responsibilities with a president and a managing director. So, you know, it's 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 definitely trying to learn on the fly. And so from a finance perspective, you know, it's it's putting in those measures in place. So that again, I think something that's been brought up is hey, on a monthly basis, you know, we should be able to see a PL statement that gives the board that opportunity to say, hey, are we still staying on track with our budget? And it's a work in progress. You know, what what what's taken place, you know, since my departure from the organization, you know, I I can't necessarily speak to that. Uh, but it's right now the, the the process and the challenge is laying in the appropriate corporate uh, foundation, corporate governance, corporate structure to ensure that when a budget is established, um, you know we're able to track on a, on a on a monthly basis as we should, because the board does have a fiduciary responsibility to the organization and determine, hey, are we still on track, or are there some adjustments that need to be made?
2: Okay, Luigi. Um, yeah, absolutely. Um, even made some great points there. Uh, but just to clarify, um, um, the 990 has been filled out uh, and the audit has come back. So the audit committee had, did make a statement uh, a few months ago, uh, saying that the, it came back with a green light. So all that information is already there. The board has access to it. Um, it's why it's not public. That's, that's up to the board. I'm not, I'm not involved there. Um, uh but i just had some questions for Yemen before i went in in, in mine is is you you were you were president in 2023 after you got you saw the 2022 finances you guys were working on it you saw all this stuff uh what did you see what did donna do that specifically i mean what what were the moves that were made and that were going in the right direction I mean, because uh, everybody says, oh, yes, we were we were looking at uh, categorizing new new fees. We were looking at categorizing our our accounting. That's all that's all bookkeeping. That That's that's been like that for years. What actually was the moves that we did that were putting us in the right direction?
1: You, uh, is it OK if I answer that, Dave? Yeah, absolutely. Go ahead, Eumann. Okay so one of the things that we initially started off with is uh, reassessing our corporate footprint. So we basically releasing a facility that was outsized for what was required for the organization. Uh, that, was a, that was a lease that Donna was working on to basically uh, get us out of that or to you know, basically sublet that. So uh, for those members that were that noticed we did change our physical address uh, from what is it Bur,
2: uh,
1: Burling to Central, Central Woolley. So that was that was a that was a resizing of what our corporate footprint was, so that it was more appropriate to you know what was required for the organization. Um, there were some other uh, contracts that we were that we were tied under in terms of office rentals. So there was a process done by Donna to basically uh, end those uh, terminate those early. Um, let's see what else. There um, was there was a, there was a, a an, an actual analysis of the per member costs. For members, so for every member that is in USPSA, there's there's always uh, an annual cost uh, for the maintenance. So trying to reduce those tr- those recurring costs that was something that Donna was addressing. Um, and let's see, even even little things like if you take a look at the election this year. So you know, elections. Um, I I'm not I don't remember exactly off the top of my head what the 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 number is. I know, but uh, postage mailing cost. You know, that was always a significant factor into the cost of the. Elections, so the decision was made for this election cycle rather than sending out postcard reminders. Uh, the decision was made to basically use an email instead. And so, when you're talking about sending postcards to 37,000 members, or you know, whatever the numbers are for who is eligible to vote, you know that that number adds up after a while. So, you know, there there were steps in place to basically reduce our our corporate operational footprint. Um, that was at least a step in the right direction. You know now. Are there other places where we could potentially examine? Sure, there's other places we can examine. Uh, that also being said, you know we're, we're at, uh, you know, COVID started in 2019. We're four years into the COVID COVID economy, and I think anybody, you know, can basically see that costs have basically risen everywhere. So you know, even for fundamental staple goods, you know, cost of increase is a general rule of thumb. And so it, it's really a two-step process to see where we can be more efficient in our expenditures and also, uh, evaluating our revenue sources. So it, you know, that's, that's kind of what we were looking at at the beginning of the year. Now, what, ha- what happened after that in terms of, uh, cost controls and ensuring that our expenses were aligned with the budget, and unfortunately, you know, that's, that, that, uh, was a process that really occurred after my departure.
2: Sounds, okay. sounds good. That's a, a lot of answers there, but, um, like, a, we have a comment in, uh, a- in the comments here that says uh, analysis isn't cost savings um, from who I believe is uh, a, who was a candidate for the area six directorship. Um, so thank you, former candidate. Um, but how many months were you president in 2023? Four months. Four months. Okay. And you said that you were working on a monthly profit loss statement with Donna
1: uh, Donna was if you again if we want to take a look at the bylaws the managing director in the bylaws is primarily responsible for the for the finances of the organization so is that a collaborative process between Donna and the board members yes
2: when in your tenure in those four months of 2023 was there a monthly profit and loss statement offered to the membership
1: There, well, that's a couple months ago. And without looking at the meeting minutes, I think there was a couple of profit loss statements that were offered, but not necessarily on a monthly okay. basis, which was a concern that was expressed by various board members on the timing and accuracy and just presenting the profit loss statements in general.
0: Well, oh, and Yeman, when you say there were concerns by the board members, are you saying they were concerned that they were being released or that we weren't releasing them?
1: Uh, just ensuring that profit and loss statements were being provided so that the board members could see what we were doing. So, okay.
0: I, I'm just asking because I was unclear myself.
1: No, I, I understand. I appreciate. I appreciate the uh, the question for clarification. Thanks
0: Where's for the, the clarification. We we good with the the finances on that part. Everybody, everybody said their piece. I believe so. Okay, all right. So the the next one, which you guys have much more direct impact on, um, would be nationals. What are your thoughts on? Because apparently we we that's one of the places where we lose money, um, and I've had many discussions lately with different people about that and whether it's even possible to not hemorrhage money at a nationals. So with that, um, this would be for Luigi. I had to yeah. look at my sheet. Sorry, it's, I've, I've,
2: I've got it in front of me, too. So uh, we'll, okay. we'll, this will be a collaborative effort, right? Well, <laughs> what, what did you say? It was um, a guided discussion more than a debate. Exactly. <laughs> um, so, I mean, like you said, all right, um, we We've had issues with our bookkeeping. We didn't know where our finances were going. Um, From our budget, our audit report, our Form 990s, all of that stuff is super bird's eye. There's no specifics. You know, we we can say, oh, um, nationals expenditures. Well, we're holding more than one national event. Are we, is any of that cost going to any of the outsourced nationals? Is it just USPSA nationals? Is it multi-gun? Is it two-gun? Is it IPSC? Is it steel challenge? You know, world speed steel still falls under the USPSA umbrella. Uh, so what we would have to do is is look at what the finances has historically have been, and the match director for the past few years has been has been Jake Martin's and Shannon Smith. You know, if we're strictly talking USPSA handgun,
1: mm-hmm.
2: um, and I've gone through. A few iterations of what has happened, um, you know, between consolidated matches, between standalones, and and, and all that. Um, but like, if you if you just look at what Carry Optics did last uh, this year, you know, it was roughly five hundred shooters. Um, is it a, a large match? Yeah, it's a pretty big match. Um, but if you go back to twenty eighteen for Nine Days of Nationals, I mean, we had. 852 unique entries in nine days of nationals done in one week uh if you look at all the entries it was over 1100 uh and that's that's a pretty big match granted a bigger match is going to cost more but would we save enough money on some of the other expenses uh, now it, it had the da- nationals dates haven't been publicized for 2024 yet but from what all of the events that recently have transpired. And
0: he keeps leaving me hanging.
2: (laughs) Hey, uh, can you hear me?
0: Yeah, I hear you now. What did you say with everything Uh, that has transpired? You cut out.
2: So with everything that's transpired in the past few years, um, like we don't have consistent leadership. Nationals for 2024 has been given 100% under the purview of headquarters, of office. Headquarters is in charge of all of Nationals uh, for for next year. That's all done. So the incoming president has realistically no say in it because the board has voted to give it to Jake Martin's and Donna Webb. Uh, So we need to be looking at Nationals for 2025. And Nationals 2025, We have enough time between now and then for an incoming president to make a spectacle, you know, make something great. Uh, But we need to see, go back through the histories, talk to the match directors that have been there, talk and see what the expenses have been. Yes, inflation has has happened. Yes, the COVID years have happened. Uh, Everything is much more expensive. I mean, uh, an area match that I used to spend $1,500 to get to a few years ago is now costing me two or three decades. Two to $3,000, and everybody's, everybody's experiencing that. Um, so we need to look at historical numbers. We need to see what worked. We need to see what didn't work. I mean, at any given match, you know that your biggest expense is going to be staff. Our staff package hasn't changed in a very long number of years. $375 for travel and the same per diem that it was almost 10 years ago. There's certain things that we need to cut costs on. There's certain things that we shouldn't cut costs on. And that's the same in any, any business. Um, so, yeah, it's, we need to look forward to 2025 and figure out a long term plan and consistency.
0: Okay, Yemen, before you start, now Luigi, so let me ask you this then. Uh, um, do you think then? That losing money in nationals would be okay if you made up for it somewhere else in the organization, so that
2: it's a wash. 100% nationals should be a loss leader. Every every business venture that that is worth something is is going to have some sort of loss leader. Costco, they've got a $5 rotisserie chicken in the back. But now I'm hungry. Yeah, I know. Right. But you're going to walk from that front from that front door where they check your little credit card and you walk all the way to the back to get that rotisserie chicken, you know, you're going to put a hundred bucks. In your, it just that happens. Um, we have activity, reason uh, activity fees for a reason. We have membership dues for a reason. If you look at any of the other orga- shooting organizations, IDPA, they lose money on nationals every year. SAS lose money, loses money on nationals, um, Metal Mania, it's, it, it, all of these other organizations that it is the culmination of the shooting season. It is supposed to be the biggest, the baddest, the best thing on the planet or in the country. Uh, but I've I've shot level four IPSC matches abroad. Why why shouldn't our nationals be on par with something like that? We had the Pan American in in Florida just at the end of last year. Uh, we have level three matches in the U.S. right now that have more shooters in it than all of our national events. Wait, what event? Uh, We have have level three matches in the U.S. right now that have Mm -hmm. more competitors than all of our nationals. If somebody can do that without activity fees, without membership fees, then there's no reason that our national event can't be that much better.
0: Now, I do want to say that there were seven people who tried seven, seven 700 people that tried to get into carry optics nationals alone. So there there is desire for shooting. Are are you good for us to move on to Yemen? Are you, are you done, Luigi? Or Oh, yeah. yeah no, I'm good. I'm good. You okay. can go. All right. Your turn. Yeoman.
1: Oh, thanks, Dave. So I mean, just to address one thing that Luigi brought up, I mean, part of the reason why you have companies that have loss leaders is they're usually trying to make up that revenue somewhere else. Um, right now, if you take a look at our revenue numbers at USPSA, our revenue numbers primarily come from really two places. One is membership dues and the second is activity fees. So as far as nationals is concerned, you know that was something that we were in the process of going through to actually have every national split out, so that we could adequately measure and identify what the what the cost for a specific nationals is. Um, you know, one of the points that Luigi brought up, yes, you know, staff is a significant cost. You know, costs have gone up. Um, can we look at can we look at the edges to basically determine, you know, hey, is you know, is this an expense that's really appropriate? Yeah, sure, we we could definitely do that. Um, another thing, you know, for uh, unfortunately also consider is basically where the revenue is coming from. So, you know, it's it, again, it's sort of like the finances. It's really addressing a combination of okay, are the revenues, you know, or the match fees or any other revenue sources that we have for nationals, is that you know still valid given where we're at and you know what can we really do with the expenses and you know I'm not I don't necessarily say that our Nationals should not necessarily be a loss leader but to a certain extent you know they need they need to be somewhat self-sustaining and that is a paradigm that we sort of operated by for time immemorial. where okay you know we're always we're constantly losing money at Nationals Okay, well, if we're if we're losing, you know, 20 30 thousand at nationals, okay, you know, maybe that's that's a cost that is absorbable by the organization. You know, if you're looking at a cost that's you know significantly more than that, um, then the question becomes, okay, you know, are we are we right-sized for an event that we basically put on for not only for the membership, but also as part of our selection process of the World Shoot team. So <clears throat> That was, you know, that was, again, that was a process that was being started again, you know, the nationals that were held out, you know, all the nationals were held after uh, my departure. So as far as, you know, us continuing along that process and tracking the financials and ensuring that, you know, the expenses basically stayed within budget, you know, that's, you know, I can't, I can't speak to that at the moment.
0: Now, Yemin, you were in between nationals, correct? Like the last four months of last year and in the first four months of this year. Correct. Okay. Now, here's a comment I'm going to throw up. So this is for you guys to comment on, but it says, uh, this is from Matt Hopkins. I got the cost of each specific nationals when I was on the board. Now, again, you mean, I'm, I'm also stating that you were there in between nationals, but he's asking, um, if anything has changed or, or either of you aware of these, um, specific items that he mentions
1: you know that that was that time that Matt Hopkins was on the board you know I wasn't uh I wasn't present you know I wasn't involved in that process so right. without you know without him basically saying hey this is exactly what I got you know anything beyond that is is conjecture and speculation I I can only speak to what I what what we were working on when I was president as well as the process that we were going through uh on the financial side so but if if Matt Hopkins says he got individual Nationals numbers um I have nothing to basically Confirm or deny that?
0: Okay, Luigi, you aware of anything or?
1: I'm. Um, I haven't sat on the board,
2: um, so unfortunately, I don't have access to that. Um, and that was another another of the things that you know i I've been very adamant uh, when people call me, people email me, people ask me is is what I'm what I'm planning to do is until I get there, open the books for myself and see what our current situation is because we don't have access to it as a, as a member right now you know we're in august we can't make any actual decisions we can't make any evidence-based decisions at this moment okay um, and nationals unfortunately is one of those
0: men. quick question for you and i'm sure maybe luigi knows i don't know does ipsic lose money on the world shoot does anybody know that? Because I don't know, but it popped up when you guys were talking.
1: Finances for Ipsic world shoots are slightly different. Um, I think that's not a, no, that's really it, it, it's the easiest uh, analogy that comes to mind, and it's not necessarily you know the correct analogy because a world shoot basically occurs every three years. Right. So um, not only does not only is the host country able to utilize you know national level resources that we aren't necessarily able to um there's there's a, a, a fair amount more monetization that occurs at a world shoot um if we're if we're taking a look at our respective uh, level three matches you know one thing you know one thing that it, to keep in mind is that we have as of now the most members in the IPSIC community right So Russia is still not part of IPSC, so we're roughly 36,000 members, which, if I remember off the top of my head, is about, what, three times, three or four times more than the the next uh, largest regions? So those regions are able to basically run a single nationals, and they're able to put all their time and effort into that. You know, if we were to talk about any consideration of having a single nationals, again, you know, it's something to consider. Uh. But it's also something that we're basically trying to service a much larger membership base than other, other Ipsic regions are. So, you know, world shoots, world shoots are, are are very different beasts. You know, even a level four match, those are continental matches. And those are also very different beasts because they're also once every three years and on a rotating basis between uh, Ipsic continents. You know, a level three match, if we want to compare out, you know, apples to apples, you know, there are level three matches and they're uh, Ipsic level three matches. You know, the finances are finances are about the same, you know, in terms of, hey, what can they do, you know, what people have to expend, um, you know, how their cost and and even the size of the membership that they're, uh, that they're including. So
0: Okay, Luigi, I want to go back to something you said real quick. You said IDPA and SAS um, lose money, but they just run one nationals a year, do they not? Whereas we run multiples?
2: um I believe SAS runs a nationals and a worlds every year because uh, they have end of trail which is considered a, their world their world championship and then they have a national championship um, that usually different. but if anybody has any experience with SAS I mean their match might be 600 people right? but they have multiple warm-up matches. They have side matches, they have other events. and it's, it's, it's like a week long. It's a shindig. and it ends up being like 12, 1,300 entries, something like that. It's, it's ridiculous. Um, the only thing that I could probably liken it to would be nine days of Nationals when we had 800 or so individual entries, 1,100 or so, you know, um, actual entries okay Uh, (laughs) yes i did say shindig (laughs) um but but there's a there's a few things i wanted to touch base and get clarification on uh of what you've been said um yes uh since may uh you haven't been the president or the regional director but um you still should i mean if you care about traveling internationally
1: Uh, I, I guess we're, we're, is that an open-ended question, Dave? I, I, I'll just, I'll, I'll just, I'll just guess.
0: I think he's driving again. No, I'm not driving again. Um,
2: I just, I think we've got some storms. So my, 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 my internet might be cutting in and out. Um, but Russia, Russia was voted back in, in June. Um, so they are back in, oh. in, in they are an Ipsic um, federation again. Um, so they can, they, they're back in. Um, so I don't believe we are the largest IPSC region any longer. Um, another thing is our, our levels, our tier, our tiers of matches, uh, like our, our level three matches are in USPSA or our area matches, um. Our IPSC Nationals is a level three match. Level four are the, are, are the regionals, which is going to be North America, South America, or Latin America, or Pan American, uh, the continental matches, the the big ones. You know, European Handgun Championship, um, the African Handgun Championship, Australasia. Those are those are going to be the ones that encompass large regions. Um, so when you look at our their finances compared to our finances, apples to apples, it's it's not. It's you're, you're comparing a clementine orange to, a like a, a full thing of bananas. You know, you just take keep
0: bringing up food.
2: (laughs) Hey, I love food. I really do. Um, so that, that, that's, you have to, you have to take everything with a grain of salt. Hey, you know, if Australasia is going to make X amount of dollars, that is something that would be like, Hey, we're going to put on a match that we're going to invite. All of Canada, we're going to invite all of the US, all of Mexico, all of Central America, and bring them all over and have a match that's going to be over a thousand people. Um, now, historically, we have been able to do that in the US. Uh, we had uh, the World Shoot and Frostproof in 2014, um, and that had between the World Shoot and Ipsic Nationals the following weekend, we had 1,500 competitors and according to what i've heard uh the range owner and the match director lost money on that match on a world shoot uh, now Yemen did make an, a mention that they have national level uh, support they have uh, stuff that they can pull on on that on the national level like what i i mean we have had two world shoots in the u.s uh we had one in 2014 in Frostproof, and we had one in 1986, which was the one before that. Why wouldn't we be able to pull on national level? And that's just a question for
1: the men. You're gonna say, "Yes, Why can't we? Did you get that question, Dave? Because I did not hear any.
0: No, you said, "Why can't we pull on what?" Luigi why, why can't we
2: pull on uh, on the national uh, utilities or, or the the events that that Eman said I mean with uh, with Thailand he said you, you were able to put on on national sources resources and and why wouldn't we be able to do, do the same for our matches because we had we had a, a regional here last year as well we had the pan-american here last year um, why would not we be able to do the same
0: by national do you mean you mean state government money is that correct Emen?
1: uh i i'm not entirely sure what uh luigi's referring to just uh, again i i think you and i are both basically hearing like every other couple words so
2: um you said what when, when you put on a regional match that's every three years that they're in a different situation because they can pool all of their matches into all of their shooters into one match and they have governmental support or 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 national resources that they can they can ask pull upon what national resources can they can they pull on that we wouldn't be able to do the same
1: okay um if you really want to go down that rabbit hole we'll be we'll be happy to so let's take a look at the thailand world shoot All right, you were there at the Thailand World Shoot. So at the World Shoot, we had assistant pasters, right? So Mm -hmm. that's something that basically allows us to be able to shoot and not have to paste and reset. Those pasters were uh, Thai Royal Navy sailors. Okay, so that was something that the Thai government Mm -hmm. was able to basically contribute. Um, Am I saying that it's not something that we would be able to do to say, hey, can we get some guys from the National Guard to come out? No, but there is a level of support from governments that you know it just quite frankly is not as realistic here in the United States most of the countries that have IPSC matches there's usually some kind of ministry of sport you know that's part of the reason why uh IPSC has really been pushing to try to get International Olympic Committee recognition not necessarily to be in the Olympics but to have it as a sport so because once it's recognized as a as an Olympic sport that opens up some funding sources for their various ministries, sports that exist. Um, I not, you know, I don't, I don't know about you, but I'm pretty sure we don't have a ministry of sport here in the United States. So again, you know, if we want to start getting into government uh, philosophical differences, you know, for the most part here in the United States, especially for nonprofit stuff, you know, it tends to be more driven upon. You know, what, we, what can we get from a volunteer basis rather than in other countries where it's, okay, you know, if you apply uh, something here, then we'll basically provide you money and resources to support that. You know, so, I mean, I, you did bring up something about the difference between, you know, trying to compare Apple to apples. All right, well, let's talk some math numbers. All right, so the European Canadian Championship this year is a continental match. The match fee for an attendee is 550 euros. If you go off the, uh, if you go off the exchange rate, that's roughly 600 US dollars for a continental match. Match fee for Carry Optics Nationals this year went up from $295 to $335 for a level three. Okay, you're already talking about a $165 difference. So, you know, if we're going to be talking about apples to apples, you know, again, the match fee difference at a world shoot or even at a level four match, you know, that is actually set with the understanding of, you know, what is necessary to run that match effectively. We basically had Nationals uh, match fees at $295, what? At least, you know, for the last five or six years, that's never been adjusted. If your match fee is supposed to be your primary revenue stream supplemented by activity fees. Thanks. Uh, there's a reason why I'm not a math Asian. I appreciate the uh, math assistance there, uh, internet audience. Um, But again, you know, if, if we're talking about, you know, the comparing apples to apples, you know, another consideration is, okay, you know, if we're, if our primary revenue stream for a nationals is the match fees, then are we, you know, is the match fee appropriately, you know, priced for the demand?
2: Um, Can I interject a few, uh, just a few things? Um, the the entry fee for thailand which was a world shoot was 500 us dollars the entry fee for european handgun championship is 450 euros not 650. um
1: yes these are well that's that's really interesting because i have the actual pre-match slot allocation letter and it says 550 euros i have a sponsor email uh that says this is what it is worth well, that's a sponsor email. So, I mean, I have no idea how Ipsic priced it out for sponsors, but for uh, your general attendees, it was 550 euros, which was not only the pre-match but it was also the main match. And as I was the regional director and received uh, that email, uh, as I was the regional director and actually received that email directly from the IPSIC secretary, uh, I that's the numbers I have. If you got different numbers, you know, as a sponsor. <laughs> Again, I there is somebody so. who is
2: going to shoot the match in our chat right now that says that he paid 450 euros for European Handgun Championship. Fair
1: enough. Just Matt saying.
0: was that a Matt was that a sponsored slot?
2: No, no he's but- shooting he shoot the main match. And uh, there are other competitors that I've talked to um, that 450 euros is is the number that that was thrown around.
1: Um, So, again, the point of this being, though, is that the match fee for a European handgun championship at a level four continental match is still significantly higher than what we charge for nationals.
2: Okay. So is that an issue with what we're charging for nationals, or is that an issue with having all the other supplementals that a regional has or that a continental has? Uh, Because I've shot three different continent or two different continental matches, I've, I, my first one was in 2015. Uh, so I, I, I kind of see what the differences are between what we hold internationally, what we hold in the U S and what our nationals are. Um, but, um, we, we kind of got off topic. Um, one of the things that you were talking about for, um, you know, what the national support that they have was you mentioned that the st- they, they had the, the Thai Navy come in for staff reset, right? And, and that was just something that the, they were able to get from the region themselves.
1: Again, as far as I understand, the range that was held at was a range that was constructed by the national government. And they were given national support in order to ensure that that match occurred.
2: OK, well, I mean, the range getting built is one thing. We have ranges in the U.S., Uh, what you said specifically was they, they had personnel there that were assisting and pasting. So the competitors didn't have to. Now that is a cultural thing that we do not have in the U S other than, you know, you have South Carolina, you have South Carolina, you have North Carolina, you have, um, you have, uh, bluegrass doing things like that. Um, that they're doing full staff reset matches. That is not an expense that we have for our national match so that's not something that we can liken to what we have in in the u.s as a national resource other than that i mean the only other thing that you said that the thailand match got uh which was your experience as rd was they got the range built by the navy they got support from the government to to help have rings. We would hold a, a continental or national match. Is there anything else that you recall in from your regional director days of what they got in national support from the government, from their local companies, from things like that?
1: Uh, if you're asking me to recall basically every little detail well, about the differences between how we run our matches in the United States and how the rest of the world runs their matches. Um, you know, with all the international matches that you've attended, I think that would be a much more appropriate question for you to basically say, hey, have you actually seen the budgets and the support that's been provided? You know, realistically, at the end of the day, there is a difference in what resources we're able to draw on at a national level compared to what other IPSIC regions are able to draw on for their you know, their level, level three and level four matches, or at least their level four and level five matches. If we're talking about our, our level three matches comparing to apples to apples, they, you know, most Ipswich regions are dealing with the same constraints that we are in terms of ensuring that the match is held, um, and also try to stay under budget with the limited financial resources and revenue that's applicable.
2: In response to that, yes, I have traveled more. I have traveled more, um, as an individual, as competitor. Um, but I'm not the one who brought up other regions, national support. That's why I don't know. I haven't been able to see their budgets. I haven't been able to see their books. I haven't seen what they get support on the national level, on on the regional level, and but you brought it up, and that's why I was just asking for some clarification.
1: If you're talking about actual specific numbers, again, that's not necessarily something I think any of us would take a look into. Um, you know, if you want if you want to go try to basically ask the question in a different manner. Look, the reality is is that the way that Ipswich runs matches is significantly different than how we run our matches in the United States. So asking the question of why why can't we do the same things that ipsic does you know it's we have to acknowledge that there is a significant cultural difference between how we operate the sport as you've pointed out with the rule book as the rest of the nation uh, rest of the world runs practical shooting
2: okay we're just uh we're just playing in a circle i mean i asked you some questions um but we're, right. we're not getting anywhere thank you
0: <laughs> all right <clears throat> all right so with that Let's move on to the next part I want to move on to, which is setting the board of director meeting agenda. So in 1992, that was a long time ago, I voted for H. Ross Perot, okay? Independent presidential candidate, the billionaire before Donald Trump. Uh, But my point here is that the Republicans and the Democrats were scared They got the bejesus scared out of him. So they did everything they could to keep him out of debates and keep him out of office, do everything they could. Because he had no loyalty to anybody except the American citizens, and that scared the bejesus out of those two large parties. So, you guys, one of you is getting voted in to be the president. Do you have any loyalties to any board members or any sponsors that might skew whether you put something on a board of agenda docket or not. And this one will start with Yiman
1: No, appreciate the uh, the question and the concern, Dave. So when I was the president, as far as setting the agenda, you know, if any board member requested to add a, a an item to the agenda, you know, it was, it was added without question. So there was no consideration given in terms of who was asking for that particular agenda item to be added uh in addition you know at the beginning of every board meeting there was always a, a lot well after we after like the, the first or second month there was a line item added for agenda approval so if there was something last minute that came up you know that that would be added to the agenda uh usually at the end if we had the time to be able to cover that so as far as you know any loyalties or whatnot um you know, I mean my time as the president was intended really to basically give everybody the opportunity to express themselves and to make sure that their concerns that were heard from an area director perspective.
0: Okay,
2: Luigi. Uh, so are there any loyalties that I have that would affect any issues with the agenda? Absolutely not. The only loyalty that I have is to the organization and to the members within it. Um, I've worked in the industry, I've worked outside the industry, I've been a sponsor. I've I've done pretty much everything uh, that USPSA has to offer, as a high level competitor, as a match director, as board uh, like a local uh, sitting on the board years, the board of directors for eight. Um, So. there there's nothing that would make me withhold any issues for on the agenda now the agenda is what the president is charged with he puts it out and and according to our bylaws it's 10 days before the the meet the what the meeting is supposed to happen right um now the reason why those 10 days is written in the bylaws is so the members themselves can can reach out and discuss with their area directors with their president the issues that will be coming up in the board. So the board members, all all nine of them, can have meaningful dialogue in the meeting and vote in a manner that represents their constituents. Um, If you just have, let's say, let's take, for example, the hot topic, the membership dues that, that increased, you know, a little while ago. Uh, the only thing that was on the agenda was the committee report from the fee committee that turned into a vote. Now me as a, as a, as a member, having a fee committee put something in the minutes, that's one thing having that vote to increase the fees in that same, that's a whole nother story. Uh so. I believe and I feel that the the agenda should have a little more information, um, than just one line item of what the topic is. I feel like it should be a small synopsis of what the votes are going to be and what's going to happen. I recall, uh, when single stack went from a single frame or single piece frame to a modular single stack 1911 the only thing that was on the agenda for that was discussion of single stack Um, but in that same vote we weren't allowed anything other than metal frames so we couldn't run polymer 1911s Um, but we could run a modular 1911 with a polymer grip there was significantly no difference but the frame itself was in question. And I had conversations with, with, with the board the board of directors, the ones that I had access to. Um, I do have a lot of relationships with the guys that are on there. I had a lot of relationships with the guys that were on there previously. Um, I'm out there. I'm active. I'm communicating. Uh, I had the conversation. That was never brought up. That was never an option. It was just, we're going to talk about it. And then it ended up at a vote. Now, I feel disenfranchised as a as a card-carrying Lifetime member that has a decade on my lifetime
1: card. Do we lose him again, Dave? Yeah. Okay.
0: All right. You said uh, we lost you again, Luigi. And you said
2: Uh, you you uh, had, the last
0: thing you said was you had 10 years on your lifetime card and then
2: Uh, So, I mean, my lifetime card was uh, I bought it, you know, two months after I joined the sport Um, and it rolled into a benefactor along the years. But I felt disenfranchised as a card carrying member because how am I supposed to have a meaningful conversation with my area director if my area director doesn't know what's going to be up for discussion if the agenda is intentionally sparse?
0: So are you saying you're going to intentionally make it, more descriptive so that people know what specifically it is that is that under that agenda item.
2: If somebody wants to put an agenda or an item on the agenda, there needs to be a reason as to why if if it's if it's worth putting on the agenda, that reason should be attached to that agenda item. That's that's my take on it. Because then as a member, I can go and discuss it with my area
1: director.
0: Okay. Yemin, do you have any comments of what he said?
1: You know, uh, as far as the agenda items, you know, I, again, I, you know, we're talking about what Luigi's mentioned, you know, there's definitely been instances in the board basically making decisions where uh, as members, you know, we really didn't have any input to it. You know, he's talking about single stack as someone who spent my time in production. You know, I, I was equally caught off guard when they said, hey, you know, production is now 59 ounces, you can add a light and so on and so forth. I think the the better fundamental question to be asked is, you know, if something is brought up as an agenda item, you know, an agenda item does not necessarily mean that action has to be taken. You know, agenda item is something that is brought up for the topic of discussion. So you can have that topic discussion. um, And part of the the responsibility of the chair and the president is to basically guide that discussion. So if we start getting involved in something where it's like, okay, you know, we're, we're trying to make the decision and something that has to happen now. And I think I just want to reiterate, you know, there's very little uh, that I observed from my time as president that demanded, you know, okay, we put this on the agenda. We have to take a vote now. Um, you know, agenda I can be brought up. You can have the initial discussion. And at that point, it could be acknowledged that, hey, we don't necessarily have the information that we need to be able to make a discussion, uh, an educated decision. You know, hey, let's go ahead and task this out to a committee, task this out to someone else, try to get some more research done, you know, before a motion to a vote is actually taken place. So I think, you know, that that's probably something that would be a little bit easier to accomplish in terms of, okay, this item is brought up. Let's talk about it. But the understanding is, you know, that's, that's not unless this is a a legal or safety related issue or something that threatens, you know, the very existence of the organization. Um, You know, there's nothing that hurts. There's no harm in basically being more deliberative about a particular agenda item than moving, you know, directly to uh, action just because, you know, you feel like something has to be done.
0: Okay. I'm going to flash something up on the screen because I think this is a good time for it to, to be discussed. Uh, if elected, so you as the president, what life <clears throat> experience do you have that would allow you to bridge the gap? Especially, And I think this is especially um meaningful to the president because you're going to have to deal with the other board members you're setting the agenda so you're dealing with all the board members getting what they want and you're dealing with the paid members staff members of uspsa and getting that input and you're that go between person for this so what life skills do you bring to the table to help in that arena uh
1: who you want who do you want to start first with dave
0: um let's go ahead and go with you started first, last, Yemen, let's go with Luigi.
2: Okay. Um so I mean like, like I mentioned before in this conversation, um I've owned businesses, I've managed businesses, I've operated businesses. Um I've been brought into departments as a a new manager, a new overseer, a new supervisor, whatever you want to call it, um, to get SOPs on the ground, to figure out what the situation is, to turn ships around it in vernacular. Um, So it's not something that is foreign to me to come in and manage different people's personalities and manage different people's ingrained behaviors um, now specifically with the volunteer officers and the paid employees uh, the bylaws clearly state that all of the employees are subject to are, are under the purview of the managing director um, although the managing director is under the purview of the board of directors uh, so it's it's a chain reaction on getting all of the directors input, handling all of the different personalities that we currently have on the board and the new personalities that will be coming in. Um, the only one that's going to be coming in that isn't currently sitting is uh, we have the Area 6 runoff going on right now. I have a working relationship with both of those individuals already. Um, I would dare say to that, that we're friends. Um, I'm friends with a few members on the board already do I agree with everything they do or everything they say or how they act? Not necessarily, but you know, that's not what friends are supposed to do. Um, do, do I have working relationships with a... have I had working relationships with even more of those people? Yeah, Can I hear you now? You guys hear me yeah. now? Okay. Yeah, yeah so so i think it was about like when i've had work uh, working relationship with with the employees i mean traveling outside of the country there are restrictions that you need to abide by there's hoops that you need to jump through uh i've dealt with and and communicated with a lot of the the not the guys in charge of the office not the big ones you know the, everybody knows who we're talking about. Uh, I have a relationship with them, but I've also communicated a lot with with some of the other staff members that we have in the in our headquarters, um, from the director positions all the way down.
0: Okay.
1: Yimin? <clears throat> hey Scott, no, it's good to see you on uh, listening to the show. You know, I really appreciate the question. Uh, you know, it has definitely uh, been. I think for both, you know, your experience and my experience being on the board this year, it, you know, it's it's been it's been a little bit more contentious than we'd expected. Uh, you know, the I think the honest answer to this point is, you know, having having navigated through uh, really a, a different paradigm that we had before. So that under you know that was something that we you know that that I was still in the process of learning to try to figure out. Okay, who who gets what? Who goes to where? um you know that is a discussion that we had in terms of how the organization is structured you know who who's supposed to be talking to who um you know that that's really the experience that I would I would say that I would bring is you know having experienced it firsthand you know we were we we are but basically going through um an organizational restructuring uh, and an organizational restructuring that was you know at, at times contentious you know, we're trying to figure out hey what is what are the president's roles hey what are the managing director's roles? You know who you know who's the who's the point of contact for getting the direction from the board of directors to the managing director you know what is what is the uh yeah. what are the lines of communication like between you know the board and the the paid staff so you know it, it was it was definitely a learning process um you know, it's something I'd like to be able to continue you know with some of the lessons I've learned and you know it's it, it's definitely a very different experience uh, having you know seen it from the outside, and then actually going in and, and and realizing you know there's there's not there wasn't as much defined in terms of processes and procedures, and it's basically <clears> building those. So you know that that it was a very it was just a very different experience, and um, you know it, it was a valuable learning experience. And so to be able to build upon that is something that I I feel that I would be able to bring to essentially connect the the board and the paid staff.
0: Okay. But so based on your experience of working with them before you feel that's your, your greatest advantage.
1: Okay. Uh, uh, yes. Part of it is working with them. And part of it is just understanding, you know, how are uncertain and ill, you know, not very well defined the relationships were like, so, you know, there were definitely, there were definitely some missteps on my part, you know, not out of you know maliciousness or anything, or it's, it, it's more the intent of, you know, Hey, when you see something that needs to be done, you know, if, if, uh, you know if it's, it's not getting done you end up doing it yourself so you know um i think for both of us being in the marine corps you know you remember that old term bam right and 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 the most important step of bam wasn't s supervised it was d do it yourself um you know and, and I'm, I'm definitely guilty of that you know having uh, task things out and trying to get everybody on board so that you know everybody understands the direction they're moving and then realizing hey you know we really need to get something done and you end up doing something and you know, again, I, I can understand how that would be considered. You know, that would could be considered unacceptable, and it certainly wasn't done from the perspective of, "Hey, I'm I'm trying to take over your job." It was, "Hey, you know, we're we're really understaffed. There's a lot of things that the organization has to take care of, um, and if there was anything that I could do to try to help push that ball along, you know, I would I would sort of do first and and you know, beg forgiveness later.
0: Okay. You can comment since, <laughs> since you went first.
2: Um, yeah, um, I there's just a few things in, in in what you just mentioned that that I kind of have an issue with. Is you said that we were undergoing an organizational restructuring, um, and that you didn't know what roles and what what procedures had to go through who and all that other stuff. Um, but anybody that has history in the sport knows that it wasn't really a restructuring it was a de we were just reverting back to the the exact dynamic that we had before Phil, before Foley came in and removed the executive director except instead of an di- executive director we have a managing director now but it understanding what used to happen and the conversations and the way that the minutes went, and, and the way that Sherwin, the, the, the interim president uh, described everything was, it was going back to what we had before fully consolidated the position. Is that something that you relearn? Uh, how, how is that something that, that going into the position? I mean, the bylaws specifically stated what the roles and responsibilities, what the president did. And the bylaws haven't changed since you got in. What's the difference now? Why do you have to? Why do we still have to learn what the position is but instead of just doing what the position entails? That that was just my my biggest issue with all of it.
0: If I, if I may interject real quick. Um... I will say that um, Scott and I had a conversation and he said uh, privately, we had this conversation and he's he's echoed a few of the same things that yemen said here as well. So but go ahead, yemen. I just no, wanted I, to throw it out there that there were, uh, you know, Scott coming in new had some of the same problems. So that's all.
1: Uh, so, you know, I, I appreciate you bringing up the question, Luigi. Um, yes did we essentially move back to a the position that it was held under phil Strader? sure we can say we did that and at the same time let's see foley was elected in 2014 the uh, organizational structure was changed at that point to a president ceo so we started we basically went back to the future and i'm sure uh, i'm sure you know if you were to be elected that you would find out hey there really wasn't any sort of historical uh there was there was no historical knowledge left over so it's not like we just suddenly flipped a switch and said hey let's go back in time to 2014 and actually find all the documents that were in place to actually say hey how do we actually run things as uh, a president managing director slash executive director position as opposed to being president and CEO um you know, again one of the challenges uh, that that happened you know is that you go in yes the bylaws are out there the bylaws also give you guidance know if you're someone that's experienced in business you'll also understand that in order to run a business there should be defined policies and procedures in place to help guide you in what you're supposed to do you know if all you have are the bylaws the bylaws are just a general description it's a guide it doesn't tell you hey you know for you know if luigi wants to apply to go to the world handgun world shoot in 2025 in south africa this is how we're going to run that process so I think it's a little bit of a false narrative if you to just say, hey, we just went back in the future. Why don't we just open up the book and say, hey, this is how we we're supposed to do something. You know, it was a learning experience. And again, even, you know, with talking with, you know, the, the board members and the staff members, there was a lot of uncertainty about, hey, what is the corporate and political and, uh, you know, corporate culture going to look like now that we're going back to a president and a managing director role? So, you know, I think that's, that's a little, uh, it's a little disingenuous to say, well, let's just go back to the past. We already know how to do this. Okay, great. If, if the book was there to tell us how to do that, and the bylaws are not a sufficient you know point of departure, it's a guide, then sure, that's something that we would have followed. Yeah,
2: cor- correct. The, the, the bylaws are a guide. The bylaws are are the these things that say, this is what you're in charge of, right? It doesn't tell you how to do it. Um, now, in the corporate world, yes. Business acumen, yes. Uh, I've been thrown into managerial positions before. Oh, the situation has recently changed, and there are no processes. and there are no processes or procedures that are codified, and that was one of the responsibilities of an incoming manager, of an incoming supervisor, of an incoming owner. You need to enact these. Processes and procedures. So the subsequent people that take your position know exactly what it is So you're not handing off, you know a bag of snakes I've been in that position. I've done that When you were president for eight months, you knew that going in What policies did you codify for your subsequent people? I mean what policies did you codify for ted coming in as your interim president?
1: Uh, if you're going to ask me about what policies they took in place to transfer, g- given the fact that we were trying to figure out that relationship to begin with, again, not exactly. You know, there were a high a number of priorities. So, you know, I appreciate I appreciate the the direction of the question that you're asking. Okay, you know, yeah, it was trying to figure out what. A lot of it was just trying to figure out the nature of the relationship and how things were going to work moving forward. I'm sure that you as coming as an, a manager, where you if you were appropriately empowered to make those decisions, then yes, you know you have the full support. Relationship at, at USPSA right now, again, it's more of a collaborative, uh, collaborative and collegial relationship and not necessarily one where you get to walk in and say, hey, you're supposed to fix everything and you're completely empowered to do so.
2: And that rolls back to how the relationships that we have with the current working members of the board and the employees are okay is it if, is it not, is it not? we okay. have to work, we have to work with the other guys because you do not have the power to come in and say yes this is what we are doing you, you have to yes. come in as a leader and say this is what we should be doing this is this is the
1: direction that we need to be going how do we work together to do it and if yeah everything's kind of, everything sounds great in principle so obviously things are you know first thing you learn is that the best play plans of mice and men you know it doesn't really quite work the way it is when you're actually on the ground so i mean if you're alluding to some if you're alluding to some sort of you know so you know something you've heard through the grapevine like why don't you just go on ahead and spit it out i haven't heard anything through the grapevine well your question seemed to insinuate that so you know, what are you really trying to get at here? I, the only thing that I asked was, what
2: policies did you actually enact for your your your, your successors? That was all I
1: asked. But that's not the direction where these this question is going here right now. So,
2: it's your response, up, buddy.
1: Let's just be upfront. No, let's just be upfront. What are you trying to get at here then?
2: Is there anything that you have put in it? With policies and procedures, the guy that's coming in after you the guy that came in after you wasn't sitting there trying to figure out what relationship, what relationships were and how to handle what he needed to come into. That was simply what I asked.
1: But given given the nature of things that were happening, there was a lot. I was trying, even for myself, I was trying to figure out figure out basically the nature of the relationship. Given that we were going back to a president managing director role, nothing was handed okay. to me. So, starting from nothing, in eight months, I had to prioritize. Sounds good. All right, Dave, what I'm else I'm you gonna,
2: got for us? All right, real
0: quick, I'm a, I'm going to say that I've been in those positions where. You've got to set stuff up for other people coming in. Um, I, I think it's different when you have an expected departure date, and that changes with a suddenty and without any forewarning. So, and and that's not to make excuses for anyone, but I've I've been in that position, so I'm just putting that out there because Luigi, I too was I was. Trying to figure out where you were going with with the questioning. That's all. I it was, was sure
2: was, It was simply a question of what what was actually put in place. Uh, no timeline. No anything. I mean, you mean you were president for eight months. Your whole term was how long that you had left? Approximately sixteen months. Sixteen months. So your term was cut in half. That's all I'm saying. Okay. We'll move on.
0: All right. Now, I'm going to... um, We're going to go to setting the committees now. Because as I understand it, that's one of the responsibilities of the president. Correct. Now, for you guys, um, what are your thoughts on how you assemble those committees and I believe Luigi I believe you got the second I think you got Scott's question yeah so Yemen we'll start with you which means you'll be able to have a rebuttal time after Luigi
1: okay no I appreciate it Dave uh so as far as the committees you know the idea of committees was to essentially staff out the work so that the board members could be, you know, provided with the appropriate information to make educated decisions on the topics facing the organization, mm-hmm. and as far as staffing those, uh, that was, you know, that was an organizational cultural change uh, that we were trying to work towards when I first took over. So traditionally, our our committees have been staffed by all board members uh, as well as the as well as some of the uh the employees of the organization um and there you know there is this recognition that as part-time volunteers you know the board members really you know that's that's maybe not the best of use of their time um, we were in the process of trying to bring on a more more skilled personnel with the appropriate professional uh resources to be able to assist us in making our decisions so Scott I know that was something that we were working on with the finance committee to try to bring on you know folks with the appropriate financial and uh, accounting knowledge so that's you know again that's something I'd really like for us to be able to look at again the the bylaws are kind of the bylaws do kind of uh lay out some stipulations on what we can staff the committees with uh, on certain ones but you know I I would personally love to be able to pull on our volunteer base I mean we've got a lot of folks out there that have you know various professional and personal skills and you know just giving them a stake in how we do business you know that that gives them the opportunity to you know have their input so you know that I would, I would love for us to be able to kind of formalize that uh, that was that was something we started started on the committee policy that was generated in January of this year uh, but again, you know, it's it's something I'd like to be able to refine that says, hey, we really would like to have our members and volunteers, you know, actively engaged in guiding the discussion and the decisions that the organization makes.
2: Okay, Luigi, I'm going to say yes to everything that Yimin just said. Uh, all valid points. I'm going to give props to Yimin for actually bringing on outside outsiders, other than just uh, board, board members onto certain committees uh, yes the, the bylaws do stipulate some restrictions for things like the finances or uh, committees and, and just who has access to all of the information uh, that's that's a, another valid thing uh, but yeah the, the committees do need to have experts in their field and this is something that uh, one of the area, direct, area six director candidates uh, has been working with the board has been working with Eman previously it's uh, Getting experts that we've got almost 40,000 members, I'm sure that whatever issues that we have, whatever committees we decide to field, we're going to have somebody who knows more than what we do. And we should be asking them for their insight.
0: Uh, now, I just want to, I'm going to clarify something for the audience. You're not saying that the board members are stupid. You're saying no. they have expertise in certain areas because not everybody knows everything.
2: We we don't. There's no way. I mean right. uh, exactly. even even if you're a one man shop, like let's say you you're the best craftsman at whatever it is you do. There's always gonna so why not ask that knowledge pool? I'm not saying that I don't know it. I mean I don't know everything. I, I will be the first person to say I don't know. But I don't have the ego to say, hey, I need help. So okay. let's just ask somebody that has, better, uh, has a, um, a larger experience base to throw some information out there. And I've been on a few different committees before. I've been on a few different committees in a few different industries. Uh, that is the legwork that you have to do. That they're the ones who are going to do, who offer you the, the options of what solutions are. And if we're just going to have the same echo chamber, which is the same nine people on every single committee, plus some employees, then it just doesn't work. It's the same thing as just having a closed board meeting, executive sessions, and make all our decisions that way, which is not
1: not conducive to operating a business.
0: Okay. You men you have any comments?
1: Uh, no. I you know hey we 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 both agree I mean uh, what I would really like for us to see is to be able to actually formalize that uh you know I I know I was guilty of that as you know some of the other folks you know sometimes when you run into a situation you you tend to ask you know those people you know that are experts in a particular field so you know that can that can definitely lead to some feeling of being left out of the decision making process so to formalize that where you know we have Known people that are on the committees that say, "Hey, this is why this person's on this committee." You know that way everybody's sort of getting the same advice and the same input, so that you know decisions can be made. So you know, I, I, I you know, I would, I would totally agree with Luigi. You know, let's let's utilize our volunteers and the expertise that they can bring, you know, to to move the ship forward. Okay. We're in agreement. I'm- Yay! Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> All right, now I, I'm, I came up with a side question on this because of something Luigi said. You said you understand that there, you know, there are some things like finances that you don't let everybody see. But my question is, what makes um, any other, what makes a board member any more special than me? I'm a paying member. They're not, this is not the White House. They're not going through a background check. So why do they, just because they got voted, all of a sudden they get access to something that I'm not allowed to see?
1: Well, I would say initially, it's not just, you know, not just that they got voted in. Um, yes, it, it, is, it is a position, but there's also, you know, there's also the responsibility that goes with it, right? So yes, you know, as the president or anybody that's elected to the board of directors, you know, why do they get to see something different than what the membership sees, you know, again, that's, that's probably a question for corporate governance lawyers. Uh, but the flip side is also, you know, the, you know, you're not, you know, neither of us right now are in a position where we basically make decisions that could impact the fiduciary health of the organization. right? So you know, it's, not like, it's not like somebody's gonna get in trouble years, uh, any of us are getting in trouble years later if we look at something and go, well, why did the numbers look wrong? Um, you know, there is a responsibility that comes with the elected position uh, and not just, hey, you, know, you get to see the unfiltered message
0: but, but that's why you're making the decision. Correct. Me as an unelected individual, me seeing it, I'm not going to be divulging something to anybody that's going to put the organization at risk and I'm not going to be making that decision. But I guess what I'm getting at is things like, Oh, they don't want to see what the budget is for a nationals or what the numbers were at the end of the nationals. I I don't, that, that shouldn't be restricted if we're having a committee, And this is me speaking, so I am asking for you guys' input on this. But as members, we and this being a nonprofit organization, so we're not a for-profit, we don't have anything that we're trying to hide from any other corporation that, you know, we're worried about corporate theft. Why are we, why would you be restricting those numbers from, oh, a finance committee, we're only going to have a couple of people on it because we want to restrict those numbers. That doesn't. That doesn't make sense to me. So can you guys make that make sense?
1: Um, You first Luigi, the the
2: easiest, the (laughs) easiest way that I was explaining this is one is an officer of the corporation, because all the all the all the board of directors, they're officers in the corporation. And you as a member, you are a shareholder of the corporation you get the published, the le- legally published information before 990, the, the budget gets okay. put on the website, um, the officers may have access to what the line line item expenses are, um, pluses and minus what, how, what the accounting software that's that, that was how it was explained to me. But again, I'm, I i have not been in that position. I'm not in that position currently. I can't give you a better answer than that.
0: Okay. Yeah, I just don't see why we couldn't share the spreadsheets. I'm not talking about all the nuts and bolts behind that, but we can move on too. So, okay. Now, uh, another big hot topic is, I'm going to go back to the first debate that we had, And Todd Jarrett wanted a code of conduct. Um, I I know that there was an incident at Talladega. um, So that's what spurred his thought on that. I don't know what happened at Area 3, but something happened there. Um, Give me your individual thoughts on a code of conduct for membership as well as the board of directors and we should be back to luigi
2: um i thought i took the um the, the previous one
0: uh,
2: okay the
1: last one was committees right well, oh that,
2: yeah yeah last one was committees. Yeah. um we have an employee handbook or we should have an employee handbook Every, 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 business should have one. Um, Agree. If we don't, then that's an issue that is going to, that's going to have to get dealt with once I get in there. Um, so as an employee, you're held to a certain standard because you're signing a contract. As an officer of the corporation, i.e. the area directors, um, you should be held to a higher standard. Um, but as I've said before, we have a code of conduct, it's written in our rule book. And why do we need something codified if it's already done?
0: Okay. Amen.
1: Uh, for those of you who may not have listened to Dave Blanton's podcast, uh, I am so sorry that I even said code of conduct because that's not, Yeah. (laughs) I, uh, I think i, I it was a very important lesson about how words mean things david um so uh, you know if, if we're talking about look the uspsa rules basically do have a a, a process for unsportsmanlike conduct um, you know the discussion at the time and the thought process was that at the time was that you know there is something that's spelled out not only somewhat spelled out for competitors attending the matches um we do have something that is somewhat spelled out for range officials working matches um and then there's something similar that's spelled out for employees and and or uh, members of the leadership in the organization um you know I, at the end of the day I think that's really a discussion that we that we could potentially start on to basically clarify that again we do talk about unsportsmanlike conduct and the question at the time is well what is considered unsportsmanlike conduct you know there's only a handful of things that are actually spelled out as saying, "Hey, this is specifically on sportsman-like content." Um, you know, I think we figured that out at Area Three, uh, but it—it's it, honestly—it's—it's it's very much dependent on the range official, right? And so you may have range officials that have, you know, different levels of tolerances for behavior than others. So you know, it—it it puts the onus on our volunteer staff, um, and you know there there is some uncertainty about hey what are the guardrails? you know what are the things that are considered acceptable behavior at a a range so you know I'm certainly you know I've been on the receiving end of that as well so um you know do I think that that something needs to be implemented right here and now no is it a discussion that we can have that says hey you know is this considered you know appropriate is this considered appropriate um you know taking a look at some other examples um Know, that's that's something worth looking at uh but at the same time you know is it is it the most pressing issue or something that needs to be considered right now um what we'll, we'll add that to the list of i think the concerns that both luigi and i share with how the organization and functions and the direction that it needs to go
2: okay
0: luigi you have any comments or
2: i'm i'm good with the situation
0: okay, okay. um moving right along. We've talked about finances. Um, and we've talked about agendas. Um, and thanks, TANFO. You just, you, you threw me off, Timmy, when you posted that comment.
1: Um, did you did, Tim.
0: <laughs> we talked, oh, we were going to talk about meeting minutes, we've talked about agenda um, items, things of that nature. Um. And with the finances, give me your thoughts on in-person virtual meetings where maybe the organization saves some money, where they can hold an in-person virtual meeting versus a regular in-person meeting. And also lives again, I'm going to bring this topic up again, and that is live streaming board meetings
1: um so i think i'm back to you yeah i've got this question so as far as the in-person board meeting um, you know i think that's something that we're obligated to do under the bylaws it is is definitely considered you know somewhat of a, a noticeable expense for the organization um and there are, there are certain things that we do at an in-person board meeting that we don't necessarily do at our regularly scheduled board meetings um is there some value in making it virtual uh, you know there, there definitely would be some cost savings associated with that um, and at the same time, you know, having, having run a number of board meetings, uh, before, you know, before my departure, um, I don't know about you, Dave, but, uh, being on a zoom meeting for two days straight, um, that's, a uh, you're going to need a lot of monster and a lot of dip to kind of make it through that that meeting right so you know when we're we're talking about committees you know I mean geez I mean if you look at what we did this year you know we had the committees we had you know the decision about uh production 15 you know limited optics L10 um and then there's you know there's there's uh various other you know annual related issues that we deal with um that that is you know it's it's a little bit of a challenge I think I think we really have to take a hard look and go okay you know if we're basically going to try to save money by not having this in-person board meeting you know what you know does that mean that our in person that our virtual in-person board meeting now is you know longer because you know again I, I think we started at eight o'clock in the morning you know first day we didn't leave until seven you know the second day we finished at five um you know that, that that's a long time to have your butt in a seat watching watching a screen um i think a uh, you know uh, a, a, something that I would have liked for us to be able to move to is if we were to meet in person, you know, have that be more of a corporate, um, oh, you know, have that more of a corporate strategy planning session, right? I mean, because that, that was something that I observed at, in our, at my time in is that, you know, Hey, you know, the in-person board meeting was something where we tried to basically set what the annual goals, for, goals were for the year, but it was mixed in with, you know, a lot of the, just the sundry business that had to be dealt with right and so finding that time and space for the board to be able to think about strategic planning um you know that was something I really would have liked for us to have been able to find the time for that so you know thinking about it uh the in-person board meeting as more of an off-site strategic planning session you know that was something I thought you know would be a more valuable use for time so that way you know again for Luigi you know I I totally get it right if you want to have some sort of continuity right so every two years we basically change a board member you know if that new board member comes in at least they can say that we can point them a document that says hey this was what our strategic planning was for 2023 so like for example Russell or Ben Barry or Kyle Stevens coming in they're not you know they're not basically going hey what, what are we trying to do here there's at least some guiding document that we can provide so anyway moving on from that and talking about the live streaming uh shoot i you know i think that's i think that'd be really a really good option uh something that we could potentially look at i think our biggest challenge uh, the challenge is you know basically looking at um you know whatever the technical requirements are right so you know i know basically we ran our board meetings through zoom you know what whatever our our ability to handle that is you know if we were to basically live stream live stream that uh and, and make it available to the members you know. It, I just don't know what I don't know right now to be able to say, okay, you know, what what happens if we get, you know, 20, you know, 15, 20,000 people logged in to basically watch the live stream? You know, is that is that something that the, organization, the organization's IT infrastructure is able to support or not? But it's certainly, you know, something, certainly something I'd be willing to basically take a serious look at and say, hey, you know, how can we be a little bit more open and you know, let the membership see just how amazingly awesome board meetings are? They're great,
0: super exciting. That's sarcasm. I
2: get
1: it. Serious. (laughs) I am absolutely serious. They're the greatest thing. All right, Luigi, go ahead.
2: Um, Just to just to parrot what you even said, um, I've sat on a few different boards, and board meetings are that. Um, But in answer to to what the question is specifically, the in-person board meeting is governed by our bylaws we have guidelines if you want to call them that but there are bylaws um there there are certain requirements that our board meetings our in-person board meetings have um we're required to have one every year we're also required to have an a a, a general membership meeting at every national event um so the bylaws require certain things unfortunately The bylaws don't specify anything for the in between meetings, um, that we consider board meetings, uh, the, what our normal minutes are coming out at. Uh, but if you look at our bylaws, our bylaws also state that the, any meeting that is done through phone or done through zoom or done through any form of communication is considered an in-person board meeting. So our bylaws are very specific and, and, and restrict what we can and can't do. saying that oh monthly every uh, monthly on tuesdays um is not an in-person board meeting but the bylaws consider it um so some people will say we cannot record it we cannot live stream it if you want to watch it uh you have to go through the same policy as if it were the in-person board meeting that has historically been held in january so it's not an issue of what i want to change it's an issue of what we can do um, and right now we're very limited, or we should have some clarification on if the monthly meetings that we have, that is electronic, if that is considered officially an in-person board meeting or not, if we want to live stream it. Um, so like Emin has has stated before, um, it's a learning experience. There's a lot of stuff that we have to do. We have to learn and, and, and discuss and figure out who's in charge of what. Um, but we need to clarify the things, um, between what meetings are considered, what like a special, a special board meeting or an in-person board meeting, or just a virtual in-person board meeting, uh, what the restrictions are per, per the bylaws. And if need be change the bylaws to open it up to everyone. I mean, yes, we are restricted. We are restricted technologically on how on, on what we can do. But I've been on Zoom calls with 10,000 employees. I've been on monthly town hall meetings in a corporate venture with 20,000 employees all logged in at the same time. Um, the systems are out there. The technology is out there. there. There's nothing to say that it's not doable. Unfortunately, we're restricted by the bylaws that we have to play, play by. It's like so- I say to anybody that that goes to shoot any of the other sports you have a set of rules you have to play by the rules and unfortunately some people have said that we can play fast and loose with them and Patrick just says there's 20 people 27
1: people logged in right now on he
0: this. lied there's 28 He's totally. trying to short me. <laughs> <laughs>
1: you you, you got to bump um, those numbers up. You got to bump mm-hmm. those numbers up for the followers, so you can get that silver plaque, Dave. Those That's those right. are key numbers, Dave. You got to bump them up.
0: <laughs> okay, but okay. The bottom line is: Would you support a change to where mm-hmm. it would include members being able to view board meetings?
2: Yes, I would support something like that. But in the meantime. Okay. Um, what the president can do is the president is in charge of um, the agenda, the agenda, as well as appointing a secretary to keep the minutes. I've been pretty active uh, following the school board uh, just because of the nature of my situation and the nature of, of my situation that has been um, a lot of those minutes have Uh, verbatim statements and in any of the votes who's for who's against and they have reasons why um it's a lot more in depth than what we've historically seen in uspsa um and that that is something that the president does have say in and i would like and scott says 10.2 gets changed there's no there's no live streaming um so (laughs) <laughs> yeah, you, you beat me to it. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's something that the, the minutes can be more than what they are. Um, and have a lot more transparency. And it's a step in the right direction to get to where Scott saying, you know, changing bylaws to get things more open.
0: Well, and, and initially for the for the audience, because you guys saw it on there, I made a change. But initially, I was going to bring up meeting minutes um, because of that exact thing you were talking about. And there is software out there, free software um, called Descript. That's just one option that allows you to put a recording in and it will give you a transcript of it. And then you can go back and edit out with anything that may be sensitive, but it takes all that time of that recording and putting it into a manuscript per se for you so there are there are things out there that wouldn't be time consuming and you could still get a lot more meeting minutes out of it so ye do you would you support changing 10.2 and doing opening it up to members
1: uh well you know as, as scott well knows when we when we first waived 10.2 at the february board meeting so that we could communicate to the membership about limited optics, um, there there may or may not have been a little bit of heat sent my way because I, I wanted to basically send a high level message to the members that said, hey, we made limited optics a provisional division. Um, you know, within you know, I think one of the things 10.2, you know, there, there's some historical reasons for that. Um, you know, but within the the confines, you know, within the confines that we were operating in. The meeting minutes were again you know per robert's rules the meeting minutes is a a record of actions taken and so uh scott can attest to this you know i i went on the show with him and joel park um you know there's ways that we can basically communicate the context and the details to the membership where you can you know explain the why um you know if, if we were to have the meeting minutes be a transcript well then it's technically not meeting minutes. more it's a it's a straight-up transcript so um you know, my—I guess—you know—it's—it's a, a long wind way to basically say, you know—the the meeting minutes are really a summary. Hey, you know, we voted to do this. You know, somebody made a motion to do this. The explanation. Hey, why did we do this? What was being discussed? So on and so forth. You know, that's something that, at least with, with my time in as president, you know, that was something I really—you know—tried to push for. You know, to be able to engage the membership. You know, much more than you know than what I—I I saw. You know. Again, you know, can someone can someone say uh, you know it, it wasn't necessarily done through the the right uh, the right medium and the right method? Sure, you know the execution could have been done differently, but the intent was to engage the membership. Hey, this is what we've got going on. This is why we're doing this. And I think you know that it's it's basically finding a way to communicate with the membership uh, outside of you know what what Robert's rules says we can and can't do within the meeting minutes.
0: Okay. All right. All right, I'm going to give you guys the option. There's one last, the DNROI, we could either do that or we can go to closing statements. It's up to you guys.
1: You're the moderator. You're the chair, sir.
0: Well, sauna. All right. Well, we're going to do it then. All right, so... (laughs) DNR, I'm using DNROI as just a blanket term. It's not a person, it's a position. So this is not to point to anybody in particular, but we know there were some unintended consequences of the last uh, bylaw change, okay? Now, there's been talk of that needs to be corrected, but I want to go one bit further so that's part a part b so i want your thought on that part b is also i give me your thoughts on removing somebody prior to the uh, if there is an appeals prior to that being complete
1: and i think
0: this is Yemen. man
1: uh, I'll take it first because, um, you know, I have absolutely no uh, context or understanding of this question at all. It has I nothing figured. to do with my previous history. Uh, but I, I do want to ask a clarification on the second question. OK. So your part B, I, I sort of heard that and I, I'm not entirely sure. I, are, are you talking about the removal of somebody prior to an appeals being conduct, uh, complete?
0: Yes. Should. So, A was just clarify, do we need to clarify that other part where, okay, so I, let me just rephrase the whole thing here. Part A is you have DNROI who reports, basically reports to the board, directly to the board. And then, so you have a conflict here. You have board members that could remove DNROI and DNROI who can remove board members by basically suspending their RO. Um, Now, should that be clarified to where if DNROI is going to be deciding a board member's status, should that be changed to he has to bring it to the board, that person is absent from the meeting, they discuss it, they vote on it, and it goes that way. Or should DNR, DNR, I don't know why that's so hard for me. DNROI.
1: It's, it's 2320, sir. It's late. It's past our bedtime.
0: <laughs> so DNROI, should they maintain that, that power? And part two is, okay, let's say they do. DNROI says, okay, your RO is hereby suspended. By law say you are immediately no longer a board member. So you are removed from the board. And then you have to go to the appeals process to get it back in. Or should they maintain their status until that whole process is exhausted and they just stay out of anything that would be DNROI related? So those are the two parts.
1: Uh, well, since since we kind of addressed it at the beginning and, and, and this is uh, yeah, this is something that I have some personal experience with. Um, you know, you're right, Dave. So, uh, this year has been very much the year of unintended consequences. Uh, you know, the, the requirement to have an elected official be RO certified, you know, that decision was made by the previous board for, you know, for, for reasons that made sense, uh, ensuring that the elected leadership had a, a skin in the game and the discipline process that was presented by the director of NRI to the board, you know, that was also put in place to have something more formal than what was previously in place um definitely where where what was missing was sort of taking a look at the two and going well what happens if you know this this particular situation exists and well we we basically did have to run into that situation um i you know i think there is there is something to be said about you know taking a look at those consequences um i don't necessarily know what the answer is but you know clearly we, we we've definitely been put in a situation this year that I don't think anybody anticipated you know regardless of what the details are so uh I know that's something that's been on the board's agenda you know since uh since their decision was made about my appeal um and for one reason or another you know things have sort of put that on the back burner um but it, it you know I think there is something to be said about that you know taking a look at that and again not necessarily something that ha- needs an immediate decision Uh, but there should at least be you know a a, a deliberate discussion about okay you know what happens in this particular instance um especially for you know someone like me where you know i and luigi i know you've done it too you know we've kind of made you know part of a lot of the great relationships we've made is because we've given back to the sport and we say hey you know you need help i'll come help you Uh, and so that you know that that definitely has a little bit of a chilling effect if you if you realize that you can be put in a position where you know things can be interpreted in a particular way and now your elected position is at risk. Now, as far as uh, with regards to um, whether someone should stay in position, you know, pending an appeal, um, again, I, I can only go off of my experience. Um, you know that the the board, you know, was handed um, a very contentious situation, and so you know, in my in my particular instance. You no, know, I I did remain um, within the employ, uh, employee of the organization until the appeal was complete. So, you know, was I necessarily uh, the president? No, that decision was made that I wasn't the president anymore. But, um, you know, the it was stated that you know, hey, if the if the depending on the results of the appeal, that would determine whether I would retake the position. So, I think all things considered, given the unusual nature and the, you know territory that the board you know wasn't really expecting to to go into you know I think I think at least as far as your second question is concerned um you know they handle it in the the best and most professional way possible you know hey we're we're going to kind of put you in on hold right now uh but we won't make a final determination on your uh your status as president until the appeal is done and I, I thought that was appropriate
0: okay
2: Luigi um The only thing that I'm going to say here is once you take that position, once you take, uh, officer position, employee position, president, whatever you want to call it, um, you should be held to somewhat of a higher standard. Um, why even put yourself in that position to where this is even a discussion? Don't put yourself in that position. We never even have to think about it. But like Eamon said, this this has been on the agenda. It's also again on the agenda for, for this coming Tuesday the 28th. Uh, we have four months until the new president comes in. It'll probably be decided on, by then? Why would we even go there? Why would we even put ourselves in that position? Unfortunately.
0: By that, you mean actions? He,
1: I, I, we you, lost disap- you, you disappeared. I disappeared and, again? Oh, yeah, man. and it came back. That was really Look, good timing. Just,
2: uh, just just <laughs> uh, mic drop, right? No, uh, don't put yourself in that situation, and we don't have anything to worry about.
0: Okay, I get what you're saying, but at the same time, I mean there are there are people look, as nice as some people are, um there are still people that don't like the nicest people. Absolutely. Like I I have literally said there's a guy I know uh that I work with and another guy that I and this guy is liked by everybody. It's hard not to like this guy. I mean, you have to work hard not to like this guy. And this other guy came into work late one day, he, he had some time off. So he came in later and he was all in an angry mood. I'm like, man, what's up? And he goes, I don't like that other guy. I can't stand him. I was like taken aback. And I'm like, what? So my, my whole point here is there are no matter how nice people are and, and no matter their actions, there are people that don't like them. When people don't like you, like he did not like him and he treated him poorly and he was a supervisor if they have an ax to grind, they can still go after you. Especially like, let's say you made a decision. Let's say Luigi becomes president. Luigi votes, and this guy doesn't like it. He makes a complaint to DNROI, and now you're under investigation. My whole point here is, when it's a board member, should DNROI then have to go to the board as a whole for a vote instead of putting the power in one person's hands who now can change the organization that's all i'm getting at
2: why would we be giving a board member or the president any different (laughs) remember it should be the same right so if we're going to suspend somebody's ro credentials should it not go to a committee of the board which is the final appeal so this decision will probably be made before Yibin or i go back in the office but yes um it 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 should be gone to the full appeals process finished before what a full action gets taken Okay. All right. This is only more important for, you know, a board member because they're sitting. But let's say this happens a week before nationals and you're set up to be an RO or a CRO or what have you. Um, Take into consideration Yimin. Yimin was set up to work uh, Dragon's Cup this year. And the Rangemaster decided that only current ROs were eligible to hold the timer and the tablet or just a timer? I don't know.
1: Uh, it was, it was the timer.
2: No. So just a timer. Yes.
1: Um,
2: his appeal hasn't been finalized. So even if he weren't president at the time, that, that has, that, that there should be no reason why him as an individual member be barred from exercising his abilities and, and his certifications up until his full appeal process is finished.
1: Uh, Luigi's right. And to be fair, that's, you know, that's, that's a question where, with regards to how the discipline possibly was spelled out. You know, so there, there isn't really anything that says, Hey, if you're appealing your decision and it's got to go before the board, what, you know, what happens to your status?
0: Right. What happens to that status?
2: I think I, a, a big issue here is there were a lot of changes that, that were made and we didn't stop to ask if we should instead of just seeing that we could. And that's it. Okay.
0: I'm going to post these, uh, Kyle put one up saying saying Kyle Stevens put one up saying 7.8 should not circumnavigate 7.7. Ben Barry put one up saying 7.7 7 ought to be the sole method through which a board member is removed appeal or no appeal at most removal at most removal of ro cert should at most prompt a vote but not replace one okay i'm not quite sure what he was trying to say there but him and kyle uh, are both so saying if 7. Could, 7.
1: yeah if i if i, I think what uh, uh gentlemen you can just comment i'm not seeing the comments right now but just to clarify so when my RO certification was removed um, according to 7.8 um, the interpretation at the time was that I you know I was considered resigned uh, because I no longer held the qualifications necessary to be an elected office so if I understand uh Ben and Kyle correctly you know what you're what you all are saying is that you know that 7.8 should be more clearly written so that if you know a, this situation were to happen again then rather than it being an automatic hey you're out you know it is still a decision of the board to basically determine whether an elected uh, an elected official should still be present um okay you know, and again i i think there's you know there's there's definitely some precedents that have been set with um you know different uh, ro certification statuses and whatnot and so i think at the end of the day you know I think what the membership is asking and what they're trying to find out is, you know, hey, you know, we just want some clarity. You know, are the rules the rules or are the rules sometimes the rules?
0: Well, and and I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put Matt Nash's comment up here now because this is where I was trying to get at, is that no rule should provide power to any one person to remove an elected official. And, and that's my point with the DNROI, being able to suspend an RO certification, thereby removing an elected official. So let's see what Kyle has here. Remove a director officer who no longer meets requirements shall be considered to have resigned. Yeah, which we were just talking about. So.
1: Quit bringing up bylaw discussions, Kyle. It's like, it's, <laughs> about, it's 1130, we want to go to bed. We're, we can talk about this stuff later. <laughs> we can do this tomorrow. <laughs>
0: <laughs> all right. So all right, so we beat that one down. The last one I have is closing statements. So why should someone why are you running? And why should someone what are you bringing to the board to, that would make someone vote for you? Um, and I don't remember who got the last one now. I don't. So whoever would like to go first.
1: it's late i'll i'll start off first dave
0: okay Um, go ahead because it's early where you're at
1: it's it's dark here sir too we could be (laughs) we could be drinking right now but i'm i'm at the range because you know i i like spending time with you guys hey look so for everybody that's uh listening you know i really appreciate the time and patience that you had you know this this was a very long you know debate um you know you elected me last year um you know, I spent the time working. You know, there there was there was some really good progress that we were making in terms of you know, turning the organization around, trying to implement some measures that took place. Um, you know, I I gave you know everything I had to to the organization. Um, you know, Jody, you you personally know. Um, you know, I sacrificed a lot of my own personal you know self care and uh, you know with Jody as well because I I wanted to basically help the sport um, you know uh, unfortunately you know that opportunity was cut short um, and i really just I you know i really just want the opportunity to finish what we you know finish what we started you know making progress towards closer relationships with ipsic and uspsa you know a lot of things we've talked about in terms of you know information flow from the organization to the membership you know those good ideas are out there, and the organization does care. Um, you know, I appreciate everybody who voted for me, and, you know, if you put me back in there, then, you know, I, I just, I, I really want the opportunity to basically finish what we started, you know, finish what you elected me to do. So, you know, appreciate, appreciate it, you know, everybody, and thanks for being here. All
0: right, thank you, you men, Luigi? All right. Before we can live stream Luigi, we got to fix his stuff.
2: (laughs) Just, just tell him to stop. Just tell to stop raining in Florida. It just, it cut out. It it cut out as soon as as it happened, uh, of course. Um, But I mean, I just, I just traveled to Area One. I didn't even shoot the match, uh, just because I wanted to go out west, since I haven't had a chance to go out west previously uh, for an area match, Um, and just discuss with a lot of the members that were there um a lot of the feedback that i was having is uh we just need some some leadership we need consistency we need professionalism um and that was the the biggest overarching uh, theme that i've had in in all the communication that i've had with with people online in person phone calls emails uh what have you i mean i've been very very open um to people reaching out to me um and having my information out there for people to contact me And realistically, I'm just, I have, I have the abilities, I have the qualifications, I, I have what we need to put four years in as president. And I have a great relationship with the managing director. I have a pretty good good relationship with employees that are that are in the organization I'm just really excited to work with everyone take everyone's opinions take everyone's information and put it to good use and give us some guidance
0: okay And just so you know, I I did a little joke thing while you were talking. You said everyone has your contact number, so I ran eight six seven
2: five three zero nine. Yeah, I saw saw
1: that and I'm like, God damn it! it. Let's try to be serious for Luigi. (laughs) All
0: right, gentlemen,
1: I appreciate it.
0: Thank you, audience, for watching and listening. Um, So for you guys, I will. I'm going to download this and probably in the morning. (laughs) since it's 1125 Eastern standard time, I'll download it quickly, put it in an audio format and upload it. So everybody can have it for about eight days, seven days before elections.
2: Elections are going to be on for 30 days. So we've got, Uh, we've we've got quite a while. Uh, I'm
0: hoping we can shut down the Internet like we did for carry optics nationals though on day one of voting.
1: Um, (laughs) yeah, that's a, that's a different (laughs) server, sir. It's a, it's a, it's a uh, third-party election company. I think they have the bandwidth to do it.
0: Yeah. We'll see. We'll see. Challenge accepted. All right. Gentlemen, I appreciate it. You guys have a great evening. Thank you
2: very much for having us on.
1: Dave, thanks for having taking the time out of your schedule for us, as
0: always. My pleasure.